Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. I am a coach, a hypnotherapist, and I'm the author of The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. Thank you so much for listening today. I have an amazing guest this week, Shona Virtue. Shona is known for being a fitness instructor and yoga teacher, but for some reason this conversation isn't actually that much about fitness. We get into such a varied number of topics. She has had her career so far in the fitness industry, but she is now studying psychology. And so this is a real passion of hers. So we get into topics like her experience of therapy, why it's totally okay to have therapy. And we talk about things like how to find a therapist. We talk about something called attachment theory. And you might have heard this before. You know, some of us might be Um, anxiously attached for example and it has to do with things that happened in our childhood and we really get into why there's nothing to be ashamed about if you're somebody that is perhaps needy or codependent in relationships because it's not your fault and it can often go back to these things in childhood so we chat about that we get into the pressures and boundaries of social media and I also ask her my favorite question to ask people which is how are you really and I love Shona's answer to this. She's really honest and open and talks about something that I think a lot of us can relate to, particularly at this time of year. So I think you're going to love this episode. I felt like I was chatting to an old friend when I met Shona, even though we just met, you know, 10 minutes before. And also I wanted to let you know that my confidence challenge is coming up on the 24th of February, 2020. You can sign up at karmau.com forward slash confidence. And it's going to be five days of community fun challenges, helping you to think differently and take some action so that you can take a few steps towards living the life that you want to live, being the person that you want to be, accepting and loving yourself more, building your own self-esteem and just feeling better about being you overall. And last time I ran it, it was really, really amazing to see how people made profound changes over just five days and made new friends and expanded their idea of what's possible for them. So I'd love for you to join us as well. You need to sign up and register to get all the downloads and workbooks and access the community. You can do that on my website, karmau.com forward slash confidence. So let's get into the episode with Shona. Welcome, Shona. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I am good. Thank you for having me. I would love to know a bit about what it is that you do for people that don't know. Okay. 
and how you got to where you are today. Can you share a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I'll try and summarise. I have a tendency for anyone that does follow me or know me to kind of go on big tangents, but I'm going to do my best. You can always use the editing tool to cut this out, cut this down. So I'm a personal trainer and a yoga teacher. I have been for over 10 years now. Um, most of my business now is based on online. Um, so... I have a method called the Virtue Method, which is essentially a combination of uh, strength training and mobility training. And that really comes from my background as a gymnast. And I found that the way to uh, a healthy functioning um, and well-functioning, not just functioning, but well-functioning body was to really make sure that you were equal parts dedicated to strength and fitness as you were with like mobility and flexibility and most people tend to do what they're good at so you get lots of people that you know can touch their toes but they're not very fit or they can barely do a push-up or you get people that you know can run marathons and are super super fit but can barely even bend over to look at their toes let alone touch them and so that's one of those things that I'm like if you really want a body that's going to be able to do the things that you love to do for longer then you need to be dedicating equal time to those sorts of modalities. And I can attest that your online program is amazing. Ah. And I love I love your integrity and the way you do things has so much integrity, I think, to doing things properly and taking care. And there's so much out there that is not like that. And so it's so nice to have yeah, that, that well, th- thank you. I think that for me, um, and I know this is one of the questions you'll ask later, but fitness should really be this expression or it, it is an expression of, and it's cheesy now, it's a cheesy term, but it should be an expression of self-love. I really believe that. And and, and if not self-love, if that feels too far away from your mindset right now, if you're in a bad place, and I totally get that, then at least, at the very least, fitness should be an expression of self-respect. And if you are punishing yourself with fitness, then it's not an expression of self-respect. And I think that for too long, the fitness industry has really perpetuated this notion of punishment, punishment, no pain, no gain, you know, like sweat is fat, crying, like all this sort of BS that just pisses (laughs) me right off. It's like I'm trying to move us away from associating fitness with punishment. Totally. I love that. And I... Yeah, not many people are saying that, that fitness should be about self-love. I think that is a really important message. And It's because self-love is fucking hard. Yeah. It really is. Like, <laughs> I, I find it really difficult. Trust me, like, yeah. you know, I, I grew up as a gymnast. So for me, health and fitness, um, particularly fitness, has been something that has been in my life. So I see it as naturally fitting in my life as something like cleaning my teeth or having a shower. And that's what I'm trying to get people to do. But there are other aspects that are important in life that I am terrible at. You know, I'm a procrastinator in other areas. And procrastination, I often talk about, I think is really a form of self-harm and it's a disrespect to your yourself as well. So self-love is difficult and some of us are better at doing, doing different things that express self-love or that are an expression of self-love. And some of us just aren't. It's difficult. I think we're all on a journey. Thank you for for saying that because I think it's so easy to think of self love as bubble baths and just be kind to yourself. Light a candle, yeah, you know. (laughs) And actually acknowledging that it is a journey, it is hard work, and there are times when you know all of us will procrastinate, and that is 
kind of taking us in the opposite direction, but it's also very normal as well. It's also very human. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's not, you know, the criticism around those sorts of things can often be more damaging than the actual act of procrastination. It's the guilt you have after it. I always call it like a guilt hangover and it's so shitty. That's where all the shitty stuff happens too. You know what I mean? It's not just putting off paying a bill and then getting letters about, you know, the bill or or whatever it might be that you're procrastinating in. It's the guilt that you have later where you're self-criticizing. And then what that leads to, that leads to the need to binge in the other direction. You know what I mean? Or perhaps it leads to whatever, numbing yourself from that guilt, which might look like alcohol, which might look like excessive use of social media, which might look like excessive sexual relationships or think different things like that we've gone wait we've gone deep too quick yeah. <laughs> we're gonna go <laughs> deeper us, mate. Uh, <laughs> let's go back to fitness <laughs> i wanted to go even deeper yeah. i'm gonna ask my, go. my very deep question that people <clears throat> love hearing the answer from from people and know that you can answer that you're doing really well or not doing well all answers are okay and welcome mm-hmm. um, but the question is how are you really oh when you sent me so I have to tell you, so I'm telling everyone that listened, um, I asked Chloe to just send me like a basic kind of overview of what she wanted to ask. And this was the first question. And I honestly, it was like reading it was like, like when you step into a warm bath or a warm shower and you're like, oh, it just felt so nice because it was like, oh, you actually want to know. And you and, and I felt seen. <laughs> I know that's trendy to say, but it's like I felt seen. And so that's a really beautiful thing is, is asking how you are really. Um, because how are you is such an interesting question in that most people are just hoping that you're just going to go, yeah, I'm all right, you know, or whatever, and keep it really light and easy, and it's just a quick, quick question. Um, so I never know how to answer that because I'm like, how do, how deep do I go? So when you say, how am I really? I am really good, which I'm happy about. Um, but as I was just saying, off off record, off microphone before, I've, it's been a really interesting two years or so, I would say, um, where I've had to do a lot of unpacking around dysfunctional behavior in my life and how that has been a symptom of some deeper subconscious things that were going on for me. So I am good now. But if you'd asked me that question, um, I probably would have said I was good anyway, because it just would have been too long to unpack all of it. But I think I'm, I can safely say that I feel good because I've been going to regular therapy and trying to work on these dysfunctional behavioral patterns in my life. So, yeah. Mm, amazing. Amazing. <laughs> so deep. Yeah. Can I, can I dig into that a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. Just in terms of... I'm an open book. It's so fine. Probably too open, but let's go there. You can edit, like I said. <laughs> the unedited show of Yes, raw. Um, <clears throat> what was your experience of therapy like? How did you choose a therapist? And how was your relationship with your therapist? Can you talk Great about Great question. That? All right. So how did I choose a therapist? I'd actually had some really not so great experiences with therapists here in London. This is a therapist that I uh, met in Sydney. And she was just actually given, uh, she was recommended, her number was given to me by my mom. My mom was seeing her and then she had to stop seeing my mom when I decided to see her. Uh, I saw her because I'd had a breakup uh, in a relationship that really was only for like six months, but it really hit me in a deep way and kind of uncovered all these behavioral issues that I was trying to get to the bottom of. Um, And she was really amazing. I would say the relationship that I have with all therapists is very honest and open, and I think that's what it should be. I think when we try to filter our answers um, is where therapy becomes pointless. I mean, the whole point is being able to speak to someone so honestly and in a non-judgmental way that 
you can project every single subconscious experience and interpretation of your world onto that person. And essentially all they're doing is reflecting it back to you, but they provide you with the tools at which to handle those thoughts. Whereas when you speak to a friend or um, someone that's unqualified in that area, um, they have their own projections that they're going to project back to you or they have their own life that isn't neutral. And so their opinions can sometimes warp yours. And we often attract people uh, into our lives that we're having like experiences with. I think all of our relationships are mirrors. But when you speak to a trained professional and a qualified professional in that way, they will reflect back to you, but then they also provide you with a way to actually process that reflection and then learn from it and grow from it. So... I guess my therapist has been able to, in a non-judgmental way, say, okay, these various behaviors that you are trying to change in your life are a cause of this thing that maybe happened in your childhood or this thing. So let's try and work through that. And it's so interesting because as soon as you uncover something, it kind of neutralizes a little bit. Doesn't always fix it because the real work happens in everyday life, it happens outside of the therapy room, right? It's not like suddenly someone says to you, oh, that behavior is because of this. It's actually because, you know, the change doesn't happen there. You just become aware of it. And then when you go out into your everyday life, that's when you have to sort of make the changes, right? Um, and so I think that for me, yeah, my relationship is, it's one of the most important relationships in my life. Absolutely. Yeah. And something that I think needs to be less taboo. That's why I'm talking about it. Mm. I think that, you know, when someone says to you, um, oh, I'm feeling a bit unhealthy, I'm going to go see a personal trainer. You know, you're like, oh, cool. That's great. Tell me what they tell you. And like, let's, you know, awesome. Like, let's work out together, whatever. When you say I'm not feeling so great, I'm going to go see a therapist. People are like, oh, my God, is she OK? Is everything OK? It and must be like, really bad. It must be really bad. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, and it's like. No, not necessarily. If it is really bad, that's also okay. But if it's not really bad and you just decide that you're like, do you know what? I've never had any guidance or quote unquote personal training around my thoughts and how to process them and how to behave in society, in a society where we're taught to behave a certain way or where, you know, that doesn't align with what I believe or my values. It's like we're just kind of winging it. And I think that it's really important to have less taboo around speaking to someone about your thoughts Ultimately, that's all it is. It's a personal trainer for my mental health. Literally. Why is it so fucking taboo? Yeah. I don't understand. So anyway. <laughs> and, and arguably, you know, your mind and your mental health is just as important as your physical health. And, like, you know, absolutely. even more important maybe for some people. Yeah, exactly. And it's silly because it's like, I don't, I don't know where, it, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know where it's come from. It's, um, well, I do. There's lots, there's lots of reasons. But I think that... Um, you know, more and more we need to move away from the taboo of it. Yeah. Mm, totally. Yeah, I've had so much therapy in my life and often talk about it and love hearing other people's experiences. It's so helpful for others to hear about, you know, how it is a good idea to get a recommendation from somebody. Yeah. And, you know, the relationship that you have with your therapist is so important. I think when they've done studies into different types of therapy, it's actually the relationship that you have with them that is the biggest indicator of the outcome rather than, CBT versus counselling or right. something. Right, interesting. So that makes sense. One. Yeah. yeah. Can you, I remember you writing about SAD a while ago. Mm -hmm. um, can you share a bit about your experience of that and what, what, yeah, what effect that had on you and what changes you made? Absolutely. Okay, so SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder, 
well, sad because it makes you sad. <laughs> so when so I'm Australian um, and I am also not just uh, Caucasian. My mum is from Fiji. Uh, so I have brown skin. <laughs> so it means I need a little bit more access to the sun um, in order to get the vitamin D I need or to process the vitamin D I need. Um, and so and I just grew up in Australia. And so, you know, having sun in my life really makes a huge difference. So seasonal, seasonal affective disorder is essentially when people are affected by mostly winter and the lack of sun um, that you get in that period of time. Um, and it doesn't really happen in those countries that are around the equator. It's more so the ones that are further away that experience really deep winters. And it's mostly linked to or the the depressive downward kind of feelings that you end up having um, and other things, other things that affect your immune system are usually down to a lack of vitamin D. So you can supplement at the time to make you feel better. But to be honest, vitamin D supplementation didn't it did a little bit for me. It definitely, it definitely, definitely got me through the winter months in in London, but nothing compared to just being able to get out in the sun. Um, so it does. It was something that really affected me when I was spending full winters here in the UK, and it just shows really a lack of resilience <laughs> for me, not for everyone else. <laughs> I mean, in the sense that I should have really, you know, I I, I speak to other people with SAD and I'm, and and they're like, yep. But just got to, I've got to like push on through, and winter's gonna, it's gonna be over, and it's gonna come through. Um, that's not me saying that it's not okay to have it. It's me saying I know that I, <laughs> I became very uncomfortable to spend time around at the time. Mm. Um, but I think it's important to acknowledge that it is a real thing. Um, it's not just someone being mopey. It's not just someone, um, you know, whinging a bit more in the winter time. It's like honor those feelings and be like, okay, I may actually have seasonal affective disorder go and seek some advice, whether that is, you know, as simple as um, trying to increase your time out in the sun, trying to with whatever in whatever way that you can, whether it is supplementation of vitamin D. I mean, that's not something that I can just generally blanket recommend to everyone, but definitely those are things that you can do. And if they're very severe depressive thoughts, then again, speaking to a therapist to try and work through those, but also acknowledging that it may be in increased or your feelings are probably more sensitive down to the fact that you may have or be experiencing seasonal affective disorder as well. Yeah. I suppose as well, if you're somebody who loves being outdoors and active, mm -hmm. so cold and dark mm -hmm. in the winter months, and so that is going to inhibit you from being doing the things that you want to do. So that can make a bigger impact. Yeah, it does. It does. And I think that I'm Australian. And so it's really, we're really lucky. I, I, you know, Australians are really lucky and privileged in that sense, because we have had, you know, we have access to, you know, winter months, but they're not winters like this. Um, and so, yeah, just I really wasn't used to it. I wasn't I wasn't ready for that kind of experience. And um, it's just something that you have to think about, I think, around that time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. that winter time. Yeah. But it's a real thing. So it's not just people kind of whinging about winter. It's like if you're having really uh strong not even strong. If you if you're feeling down, just know that it, it may be related to that and there are things that you can do around the winter months to, to make it better. And just on the topic of vitamin D, the mm. NHS actually recommends a vitamin D supplement for everyone. Amazing. Um, because so can blanket statement. The yeah, so D. we can Great. actually say everyone <laughs> should take a vitamin D supplement because in the UK we are deficient in sun sunshine. So yes. 
get on that, especially if you think you might be struggling at this time of year. Um, thank you for sharing that. That's all right. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you was about something that I, I think I caught the last half of a talk you were giving. Or I think you were on a panel. This is like a year and a bit ago, mm-hmm. and you were talking about something really fascinating to me: heart rate variability. Yes, I'm so glad you asked about this, Can and you not tell? like, what's your favorite outfit to work in, or something. <laughs> Enough like that. I'm like, yes. Just ask me the best questions. HRV, heart rate variability. Okay, so simply um, heart rate variability is a measurement of the time or the variation in the time between each heartbeat. Um, and it's controlled by the autonomic nervous system. So I have to give a bit of a breakdown. Is that all right? Yes, please. Okay, let's do this. Okay, so stay with me. I'm going to try and keep it as interesting as possible. So autonomic nervous system Okay, which means it's it's really just automatic. So it's things like your heartbeat, your bladder. Um, thankfully, it is automatic because if we had to remember to make our heartbeat, we probably would be dead a lot, for a lot of us, given the amount of things that are on our plate. I definitely wouldn't remember <laughs> to be like, oh, shit, better squeeze my heart so the blood pumps around <laughs> my body. So luckily, that's that's autonomic. Okay. Now, the autonomic nervous system can be kind of broken down into two main branches. Now, I'm sure you know this. I'm just explaining this to everyone. So you've got your parasympathetic nervous system and your sympathetic nervous system. In more simpler terms, your sympathetic nervous system is like your fight or flight. So we often hear about this story about the saber-toothed tiger when talking about the nervous system, and I'll go into that a little bit, but it's your fight or flight mode is like, are you either going to like fight the saber-toothed tiger or are you going to flight, are you going to run away? And then the parasympathetic nervous system is kind of like your rest and digest mode. It's like um, actually another another friend of mine talks about it as your feed and breed mode. Um, I sometimes say it's like Netflix and chill mode, but it's essentially it's kind of where all the good shit happens, to be honest. It's where all the rest and then the recovery and the sleep happens. So we want a balance of activity between those two aspects of our nervous system. We obviously need, you know, stress isn't a bad thing. Now, coming back to this saber-toothed tiger, in time, the reason we talk about the saber-toothed tiger is because it's a very primal aspect of our nervous system, right? Our nervous system is primal. It's primitive. And back then, we would have had saber-toothed tigers, right, that we had to watch out for. So if you need to, if a stress like a saber-toothed tiger comes into your life, I promise I'm going to come back to heart rate variability in a second, but you just need to understand this background bit. Okay, saber-toothed tiger comes in and you think, shit, I've either got to run away or I've got to fight it. So there are physiological changes and chemical changes that need to occur within your body to facilitate you to either run away or fight, right? So things like you're being able to breathe at a faster rate, your heart rate moving at a faster rate, pupils dilating, your digestion either, well, it's inhibited, but sometimes it's actually stimulated in the sense that you'll either shit yourself or you'll become really constipated. So I'm team shit yourself. Other people I know under stress are team constipation. (laughs) I don't know which one's better. I think it's pretty shitty to, excuse the pun, to have to always need to go to the toilet whenever I'm nervous. But that's where the, the term like nervous poo comes from. Okay. So that's one side of the nervous system. The other side, as I said, is your feed and breed. It's kind of like when you're really chill, when you're able to relax, the body goes, okay, now we can recover. Now we can start to, so digestion's actually increased in the sense, certain parts of the digestive system are increased. So we digest our food better. Um, Various things happen. We facilitate sleep, which is where, you know, a lot of our recovery comes from. We know about sleep deprivation being really detrimental to our health. So... (laughs) back to heart rate variability knowing that you have these two aspects if 
back in the day where we didn't have such complex stresses in our life. So we didn't have things like, you know, divorce stress and relationship stress and boss stress and deadline stress and all that sort of stuff. We just sort of had like the stresses of, you know, survival versus, you know, just chill. Once the once the saber tooth tiger's gone and you've dealt with that situation, you're like, okay, I'm back to parasympathetic nervous system. Life is more complex now. And if we are too imbalanced in the sense that if we spend too much time in that sympathetic state, in that fight or flight mode, so let's say you wake up in the morning, you face traffic, you're late for work, you are, you can already see that your boss is like going to be mad at you. You can actually put yourself in a sympathetic state without without an actual stressful situation being there. So we as humans are capable of doing all these physiological changes and chemical changes that in excess are really dangerous just by imagining what your boss will say if you do a shit job. You know what I mean? And and or fighting with your partner in your mind or whatever it might be. So with this imbalance comes a reduction in your heart rate variability. So a low heart rate variability is linked to things like like uh, depression, anxiety. It's also linked to cardiovascular disease. It's also linked to just a shorter lifespan. So what we want to see with heart rate var- variability is a high variability. So people often get it confused because we think that actually when we take our heart rate, we want to see a low, a low heart rate, right? We want to see a low pulse. That's true for fitness. But heart rate variability, we want it to be high because what it shows and what's it, what it's indicative of is how well your system can shift gears between your sympathetic and your parasympathetic state. So between that fight or flight mode and then back to chill. So we want a high HRV. And the way that we can measure this is like waking up in the morning and taking our heart rate and seeing what the state of our nervous system is. Now, the reason this information is important, not just from a sort of like, you know, vague health perspective is actually also because it does determine how you should probably do a workout for that day. So there seems to be there was a big I feel like it's sort of phasing out a little bit, but there's a huge push towards this is why I come back to this fitness punishment kind of mentality is that people often think like, oh, if I'm not working really, really hard all the time, then it's going to be really bad for me. You know, and I'm not I'm not I'm not achieving my fitness goals. But we have to acknowledge the state. Now, I'm not just talking about your mental state as in like, yeah, I feel fine. I'm ready to, I'm ready to get fit. It's like, no, how are you really? <laughs> Going back to your question, how are you really? Are you stressed out of your fucking mind, but you've been really good at ignoring it mentally, but your body is like, I have a low HRV, my hair's falling out, and blah, 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 all these different reasons, right? Or these physiological signs. So HRV can be some data that you can check in the morning that gives you a good indication of like, should I go to that hit class at lunchtime? Or actually, would I be better off going to the meditation class that I keep avoiding? You know, or would I be better off just actually resting today and going for a walk out in nature? And HIV is just a tiny, easy, non-invasive bit of data that you can collect every day. There's an app called Elite HRV. Um, that's the one that I use, but there's plenty out there. And it just collects that data over time. And you really need to collect it for a, you know at least a month to gauge where your nervous system is at and how you should start to then go, hmm, maybe I should be chilling out on the workouts a little bit, you know, because another thing, and I should have mentioned this, is that we have to remember that fitness and exercise is a form of stress on the body. Now, 
If you're in a relaxed state, that stress is necessary because stress is what induces adaptation. And adaptation is just another word for the changes that occur, which is what we, we know as, in our minds, results. <laughs> hashtag results, right? Or hashtag gains. So if we want those changes to really occur, so all the work we're putting into our fitness and our exercise, if we want those changes to occur, we need to be able to shift between that sympathetic state back to the parasympathetic state. And if you're not doing that, then you're inhibiting your results. So your your workouts are in vain and they're just stressing you out further. So that was a very long, long-winded way of explaining. I told you that this would happen. Fascinating. <laughs> that has totally a penny has just dropped now for me, and I understand that. And a lot of people that I speak to don't really understand even things about the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system. To, ha- to have you explain that, I think, is really helpful. Okay, good. Um, and obviously, a lot of people listening with anxiety are very much in their sympathetic uh, mode a lot yes. of the time. I've heard it also described as tend and befriend mode. Oh, Have you heard of that one? I like that. Well, it's, it kind of sounds cute, but it's it's about people pleasing oh. and looking after people yeah. because you're so stressed of and because oh. you're... Oh, it's kind you of mean the that, sympathetic has been named yes, that? Yes, oh, yes. Oh, shit. See, I'm so codependent that, of course, I'm like, yeah. yes, people pleasing. <laughs> That's my middle name. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> tend and befriend sounds really cute, but yes. actually, if we're scared... Um, That's interesting. Then we might be more likely to to carry out those behaviours. Yeah. Um, So what is your opinion? So for a lot of people that I speak to, they say, my spin class sorts me out when I'm feeling really anxious. I go and it really calms me down. Mm -hmm. Is that maybe not having a great effect on the body then if someone is really anxious to go and do that? Yeah, and this is why heart rate, yes, possibly. I think it's hard to it's hard to again give a blanket answer, but something like HRV cuts out this sort of psychological interpretation that you might be making around yourself. So, like, if you're in a really anxious state, but you've been living like that for the last ten years, and anxiety is your baseline, and then you don't know what actually that's doing to your body, getting data like that is very incredibly beneficial because you can't lie to yourself. It's just pure data, um, and then you can kind of make honest changes. Perhaps the spin class is great for that person. Perhaps anxiety is, is you know, the, the term anxiety, while it's a very real thing, and it really is, particularly if it's an anxiety disorder, is a really real thing and has real physiological um, uh, effects, damaging effects long term. Um, and even short term. I think that one of the reasons that things like this are so complicated is because it is down to the individual's psychology. And so some people handle the same environmental or situational stress differently to others, right? We know this, which is why it can be easy for some people to be like, I'm not stressed. I'm fine. They don't even know that they're anxious, but their body is giving off these signs. So for those that are addicted to things like high intensity interval training or just training in general, right, whether it's a spin class or what what it might be, I would just urge you to start collecting that data. You don't need to stop your spin class yet. Just start collecting that data and see what it says. And then then you can be really honest with yourself. Do I have an exercise addiction? Do I have an addiction to this adrenal state where I'm like trying to actually use exercise to ignore underlying issues? Um, or 
is it still good for me and it's fine and I'm actually, I'm not, you know, I feel great and it's fine and my body isn't struggling and my HRV is very high. I have high HRV. Um, just remember that because it gets confusing. People are like, no, I want a low, I want a low heart rate, low heart rate variability. No, we want a low heart rate, higher heart rate variability. Yeah? Good. Yes. Good. So, good to remember that. Good to remember. Um, I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. Sorry. But I really want to remember. <laughs> what was it? Um, yeah, so there are people who are, could be very anxious or stressed but not really realise it. And mm. maybe they are really snappy with their partner or they suddenly are not sleeping well um, and going lots, to lots of spin classes. So... I um, love the spin. Is this? Are we talking about you? I don't know are you spin, like, <laughs> no, I find spin stressful. That's yeah, why. So do I. It's basically projecting yeah. my own hatred of spin classes. <laughs> no, I get it. I hate it. One of the reasons I and sorry, I'm just chiming in here, but one of the reasons I hate spin is because what I see is that a lot of office workers, people that work behind a desk, will go to spin. And from a postural perspective, um, there's you're essentially going from one chair to another chair. So your hips are in a flexed position and they go to another flexed position. And the reason that that's problematic is that if you're only doing spin as your only form of exercise um, or it's your main form of exercise, it's an imbalance in the strength, muscular strength in your body or just movement um, imbalance yeah there's so much flexion like forward flexion over a desk and then moving over a bike so it's not to me it's not an ideal way if you love spin and you love it on your lunch break because mentally it does make you feel better then do it but then just make sure you're also doing other stuff um, that is counteracting so much of that forward flexion yeah sorry so back to your question what were you going to say um, I think it was more a statement of just for people to be on the lookout for those signs that they might be stressed, more stressed or anxious than they realise the physical signs that the body shows us or, yeah, looking into their HRV, seeing, yeah. what, that, seeing what that's saying. Um, because we don't always know. We don't always know because sometimes we can get so used to feeling anxious all the yes. time that it becomes totally normal. And I often hear people say, what does everyone not lie awake at night on a Sunday evening worrying about the week ahead I thought that was you know everyone did that exactly no not everyone and our capitalist society has really driven us towards glorifying this notion of busy and this notion of like high stress high you know resilience to that sort of thing and I think that that lasts probably you know we can get through it for 10 years but then the body starts to break down um, and then we wonder why you know our hair's falling out or you know we're seeing different physiological signs that that we hate and the worst part is, is that then we're sold some form of anti-aging cream or some form of like hair replacement <laughs> and it's like why don't you just take care of it before yeah. it starts to fail on you <laughs> so yeah exactly it's like the model our society sets us up in um, benefits from us being stressed out and dying. <laughs> Sorry, that's yeah. really dark. <laughs> no, that's such it's it's a big topic. Talk about how capitalism <laughs> affects us and our mental health. Um, I did want to. I wanted. To, I didn't ask you. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this question, but you mentioned it before we started recording. Go. Can we talk about attachment theory? We're getting very like into. <laughs> so can. I mean, I'm this... not quite qualified psychologist yet, but yet, but we absolutely can talk about attachment theory because you are going to to train to finish your training. Yes, that... I mean, I'm very at the very early stages of a psychology degree, but yes, that is what I'm going into. Um, attachment theory was something that I became interested in after reading a, a good friend of mine, Laura Muka, who is written a book um, called Love Factually. And she unpacks essentially through both interviewing um, experts on it, but also uh, interviewing 
people from different categories of attachment theory. I'm not, I feel like I'm terrible at explaining it in a really simple way. Um, so I don't know whether you want to have, you might want to cut this bit out because I, I, I still haven't found a very simple way to define attachment theory. But it's very, very interesting when you start looking into it. There's two two sort of, it's kind of broken down between insecure attachment styles and secure attachment styles. Um, and I think it was, I think the facts that Laura Mooka had put in her book was something around, or I think, she I can't remember where she'd taken this from, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is around 20% of the population will have an insecure attachment. Might be more, might be 40%. So my memory is failing me. But um, insecure attached people you can can be broken down into three categories. Avoidant attached anxious attached and then one that's called disorganized which is kind of a mix between the two and usually indicative of people that had like really severe trauma so they kind of go but in childhood so they go between um being avoidant or expressing avoidant aspects and and uh anxious aspects avoidant people anxious and avoidant people tend to have the same fundamental belief um, something in their childhood um, or earlier childhood or sometimes even later childhood or some trauma in their life has caused them to believe fundamentally that they are unworthy of love. And it expresses in different ways. So an anxious attached person um, tends to be that person that we coin as being really like needy and is always needing reassurance that they're loved and might play a lot of games in the relationship to try and prove that they're loved and, and might get very jealous very easily, things like that. An avoidant anxious uh, an avoidant attachment style is what is kind of glorified in Hollywood um, particularly with men is this behavior of like the bad boy that's kind of like you know moody and and um, always pushing their lovers away and um, <laughs> might express you know it's will sometimes love bomb right at the beginning of the relationship really intensely and then suddenly the next day you wake up and they're like They've disappeared on you as soon as they have to be vulnerable or intimate. <laughs> You're We've smiling at me. We've all met. <laughs> She's smi- Chloe's smiling at me like, it's like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, know that one. Um, and so securely attached people don't really tend to express these sort of things. Um, so it's a very, very deep and amazing uh, topic and, and something that I think for uh, just anyone that's, un- that's that experienced really kind of um, – I guess like shocking relationship experiences, I would highly recommend reading Attachment Theory. And I've had so many people write to me since I've started talking about it on social media, reaching out saying, oh my God, I read Love Factually and it just totally explained me. There's another book called Attached, which explains Attachment Theory in a really beautiful and profound way as well. Um, And and makes it less taboo as well, because I think sometimes if you are um, insecurely attached, if you do express these behaviours that seem kind of dysfunctional um it makes you feel a lot of shame about yourself and for a long time I was like oh my god I feel so ashamed that I'm that person or that I can just be described in these like 10 sentences of behavior um but in actual fact there are benefits to those behaviors and to why you behaved in that way at that time and why you developed those characteristics because they served you at a time when you were experiencing trauma in your life and so it's not worth actually hating on yourself if you are avoidant or anxious or have any of those sorts of behaviors it's just about understanding them and noticing the triggers and being able to express and communicate so that you can start to calm those triggers down so 
I highly recommend people look into those. That's such a great explanation. Yeah. Um, Just talking from my own experience, I... I'm pretty sure I was anxious attached. Mm-hmm. Um, Me too. Like things like being left to cry as a baby wh- that was very trendy when I was born. And my parents did it in quite a, I don't know, I think my mum, you know, her mental health wasn't great because she couldn't sleep. And so she left me to cry so she could sleep. And I totally understand. And I, and it's a very, you know, complicated topic. But I'm pretty sure that led to me thinking mm-hmm. I'm not lovable. Mm-hmm. And then my boyfriend probably got the brunt of that. We've been together 10 years now. And the first few years our relationship was... A, a real nightmare. Tumultuous. And is he, do you, would you say that he's more securely attached? He's very secure. Beautiful. He's one of these very secure people. Beautiful. So, yes, that, that yeah, helped me a lot. And, and having therapy for those kind of insecurities and, and making that a real mission to, to overcome that. Um, but, yeah, I love what you said about not having shame about it, you yeah. know. Um, really important. It's not anyone's fault what happens to you when you're a child. And it's not even our parents' faults mm. you know they they are responsible but they're not to blame um so i think just having compassion for all all parties whenever yeah. you're working through it's difficult and, and it comes you know it's hard it depends on the severity of the experience you had growing up but like working towards forgiveness towards anyone whether it's your partner or your parents is not necessarily about liberating them but actually liberating you because it's holding on to the resentment that causes the pain, um, whether it be in the relationship or, or parental relationship or any relationships that we have. Um, easier said than done. So, you know, it's it, that's the journey. And that's why therapy, again, is so important because we all have those things. It's not about being crazy. It's just about having experiences in your life that have shaped the way you behave. And it's not necessarily taboo. It's just saying, okay, let's unpack that a little bit. Let's try and get to the bottom of it. Because ultimately it just harms you, right? Like all of the anxious attachment behaviours, they they probably helped you at the time to gain what you perceive to be love from your parents. Mm. Um, but in real life, in adult life, it, it's not that beneficial. <laughs> but, we're, yeah. but it doesn't make it easy to just change one day. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. We just we take on board that programming that exactly helped us exactly. at the time. And it just stays like a very out-of-date computer program that's Modern, running in the yeah, background yeah. like sabotaging our relationships exactly you need to do an update and unfortunately it takes longer than an overnight kind of like plug the phone in yeah. and do an overnight update <laughs> if only god imagine how good would that be just plug something in but it's the future download yeah good mental download health. upgrade mental health. <laughs> no pain good um thank you for that um I kind of wanted to ask you about social media because it's such a yep. big part. Well, I don't know. Is it a big part of your life? It seems like it is. But do yep. you? how do you manage that? Has it affected you negatively in the past or now? Mm-hmm. Do you have boundaries around social media? Yes. So, yes, absolutely. I definitely have had to implement some pretty strong boundaries around social media. In fact... I even just downloaded an app recently because I was going to test it out, particularly when I started uni. Um, What's it called? Actually, I wonder if it's downloaded on this phone. It might be on my Australian phone, but let me just check. I'm going to scroll right to the end. Okay, cool. No, it hasn't downloaded this one. Great. But it's basically um, an app that locks you out of certain apps. That you want to I for certain periods this. of time. Yes, right, this. right. It's so, isn't it so funny that we? I get the same reaction for everyone yes. I tell them about. It, they're like, whoa. Um, so once you've set it, it doesn't. You can't turn it off. Like as in, once it blocks you out, you can't turn it. You can change the settings, obviously, but once it comes on, 
Um, and I just feel like that would be really beneficial for university because it's now become a very uh, subconscious programming to open up the app. Like, I don't know if anyone else can relate to this. Um, you probably can relate to this in that sometimes when I do something with my phone, um, once I finish doing it, let's say I've got something in the email app and I finish writing an email, whatever, before I close my phone down, because I don't need to do anything else, I will, honestly, I will open Instagram. I'll check it again, even if I didn't mean to. Even if I literally just went on there to check my calendar, I will close the app and open up Instagram. And I think that that definitely got to a point where I was like, this is problematic because I'm losing control over my behavior. And the experience that I've had in watching others with addiction, it, that's, the, that's the exact same thing. So, you know, acknowledgement and um, I think being honest with yourself about addictions is really the first key to healing them. And I wouldn't necessarily suggest that I am... No, do you know what? I, I'm just going to say it. I think that I am definitely addicted to social media because I'm. there is a real strong behavioral... Um, draw to opening it and interacting with it and I can I can say it's got to do with my work which it does but when it becomes your work it's very difficult to draw the line between well what is really work what are you really getting done so I had to spend some time recently just saying okay like how when I'm opening this app like how much of it am I really doing productive work that's going to lead to you know an actual result and how much of it is just me getting that dopamine hit from pulling down the thing, scrolling, checking, things like that. So you have to be very honest with yourself. And for me, I just realized like, do you know what? I'd like to have designated times where I write back to my DMs and I write back to people asking questions about the program or fitness or health or things that I genuinely enjoy doing. And then as soon as I've finished, no scrolling, there's nothing that I'm going to get there that I can't get from actually reading an article or, you know, interacting with something really beneficial and educational for me, particularly with uni coming up. So those are the boundaries that I've had to set now. It's like designated time periods. Um, in terms of affecting my mental health, I think that it's definitely there's definitely been times, particularly for someone who is more on the codependent side, where it's like I feel like a real people pleaser that I found it difficult to manage everyone's expectations, which has caused me to get stuck in a little bit of a loop where I almost post nothing because I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to do this and offend this person or do this and affect that person. And if I talk about food in this way, it might cause an eating disorder. But if I don't talk about it, then the people that are wanting that information aren't getting it. And so I'm just like, oh shit, I'll just, here's a picture of me doing some yoga. <laughs> you know, it's like, what what's the most neutral thing I can post? And the problem with that is that we're not getting an honest portrayal or any kind of information or integrity there because it's just someone being too scared to post anything. So um, I think cancel culture has really influenced a lot of the way that people are presenting information, particularly the bigger your profile becomes, the harder it is to mitigate um, the effects of cancel culture. But I was having this conversation with my manager this morning and I just thought, you know what? my heart of hearts, I know that I have no bad intentions and I have no intentions um, that are going to be detrimental to people. So I just have to keep putting the information out there and acknowledge that people will do what they will with certain types of information. And there's just only so much responsibility that you can take. You can only take it so far. I do take my responsibility very, very, very important or very, with, with um, very seriously, I would say on Instagram. Um, but, you know, for example, 
I can't, if I post a workout and say this is a great workout for, I cannot, there's no way that I can accommodate for someone with a spine injury, for someone with a knee injury, for someone, you just can't do it. So what do you do? Do you not post anything because it's too dangerous? Someone with a spine injury that decides to deny their spine injury goes on there and does it and you're responsible for that? Or do you have to put a disclaimer every time? Do you have to acknowledge like that person and say, P.S., if you have this, this and this, you shouldn't be doing this? I mean, it's just very, it's difficult to navigate. Totally, because there's only so much text and only so much um, space that you can write stuff in. So it's impossible to account for everything. And I suppose it's just a numbers game. The more followers you have, the more potential Potential. there is that someone's going to get upset or offended or whatever. Exactly. So it it is tricky. It is tricky. How do you navigate it? Um, up until recent, well, I noticed I, I posted something in maybe December or November that on reflection, on reading it back more carefully, I was like, I actually don't 100% agree with that. Interesting. Um, so I posted something that was like, anxiety can be unlearned. And I think, I think it said something like, no one is born with anxiety. So I maybe just didn't think enough. It was one of these kind of memes that goes around. I just thought, oh, this is a nice thing. It said some other things as well that I did agree with. Um, I didn't give it enough thought. Right. And there were people who felt invalidated by... Their anxiety was invalidated. The fact that they had anxiety and there was a a genetic component, which is a fact. Um, And it made me me really reflect and have to realise I need to be more careful about what I'm posting because, um, because a kind of a pithy you know, two sentence meme image um, can, could cause harm or could, you know, really invalidate people. So I realise I need to be more careful, especially as my people that follow me is is going up. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's impossible to be completely perfect. You know, I have this thing of wanting to be perfect, but it's It's really difficult. And then the other thing is that I have to say, and this is my bone to pick with, you know, the rest of society is that we're also very hungry for black and white statements. You know, we're addicted to those. Mm. So, you know, we want them because ultimately, you know, grey is not only boring, but it's unsafe. Like a grey area is unsafe. It makes us feel like we can't control the situation. If we know something is black and white, we, we feel more in control. So what irritates me is that we'll gravitate towards media headlines and headlines in general that are black and white because it's like, oh, feel safe. No carbs after 4 p.m. By the way, that's total BS, but I'm just using that as an example, right? <laughs> and so people are like, oh, okay, or carbs are bad or whatever. And something ridiculous like that is like, it makes us feel safe because we can move in that direction. We go, okay, tick. I know to either do or don't do this. So while, while we feel frustrated and invalidated by a statement that you, you've made in that sense, um, it can also be frustrating because people will tend to gravitate more towards those people in the media that are making black and white statements and therefore increasing their platform, you know, which is that problematic? I don't know. Should we be working towards like polarizing our audience so that the audience that we do have are really strong and really like focused and engaged? Or are we trying to cater to everyone and then not actually saying anything at all? I mean, what's the so answer? interesting? I've I've actually thought about that a lot recently. About you know, should I be more outrageous in order to get more followers or something? But well, I don't think that's yeah, my. You don't want I don't to, that's my <laughs> no, you definitely don't want to lose your integrity in order to, to get more followers. But there's an element of like, how do you play the game of not so much to get more followers, but to just be to be a stronger voice in our society? Because 
Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. I, I'm still battling that. I'm like, do I become a bit more aggressive and have a stronger opinion? But I'm sort of like, well, that isn't me because I do have compassion for those that don't fit into those boxes, you know, or for someone that that doesn't accommodate for or accommodate to. So it's like, for now, I'm just going to have to have long ass captions with disclaimers that are like, P.S. <laughs> if you are this, don't do yeah. this. If you are that, don't do that, you know? Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Yeah, doing things with more care and and being okay with the grey areas and and things are complex. Things, things are, are complex. complex. We yes. don't we don't have a there isn't a one size fits all for fitness for no. mental health. No, there are statements that are not going to apply to everyone, and we need to acknowledge that. I think it absolutely because also your your the post that you made probably would have helped. A lot of people. I mean, it got more likes than well, exactly. <laughs> so, so, so it would have been very. It yeah. would have. It would have been enough to capture the attention of so many. Um, so I think it's really, it's a really, diff- it's a really fine line because it's like if it captured the the attention of of a lot of people and actually helped them rather than invalidated them and only invalidated a few. It's like what's better, helping thousands, hurting. I don't know. I don't know the answer. I'm like, we need Ugh. like an ethics of social media. Yeah. And it's so, and it's so new. It's so new. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's a really, really new thing. And it's a really interesting social experiment that hopefully is not going to be detrimental, but might be a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think it, yeah, <laughs> already is in, in lots of ways. But I wanted to ask you Go. about... Um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Oh, I thought you were going to say a Brazilian. I was like, all right, we're going switching, there. Well, switching, switching. Yeah, hair removal. That's switching an interesting topics. topic. Yeah, um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yes, martial arts. I want to try this. Yes. I, I've seen a lot of things about this. I heard it's like wrestling. It is. It's grappling. Yes. It's a grappling martial arts. Yeah. I like to say that it's like chess with the body um, because, you know, martial arts is... The, the, it's physical, right? So it is a great form of exercise, but the added element of being with an opponent means that you're calculate, you have to try and calculate steps ahead before you make a move. Um, and that is, it's a workout for my brain as much as it is a workout for my body. Um, and I just find it so incredibly empowering. Uh, it's non, there's no striking. So that's beneficial for me because I, you know, it doesn't. To be honest, it doesn't really matter if I have a if I have a black eye and have to <laughs> do some video content for it. I did actually have a black eye not so long ago from jujitsu randomly because I, um, one of the girls I was grappling with had dropped her head in on my on my cheekbone and it just went completely brown. But but that doesn't happen that often. Um, for the most part, it's it's known as like the gentle art. It's not really gentle, um, but for a martial art, it probably should be. It should be closest to that. Um, The highest level of martial art is really to be able to win without hurting the other. Um, And I find that such a profound statement philosophically as well. Um, But that's a whole other conversation. For me, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has has changed my life in so many ways. on this, I guess on the surface level, it's made it so that my I find exercise incredibly boring. I have to say, I have to tell you, like Ooh. truth be told, <laughs> you know, lifting like a weight 10 times um, in the same way, in the same plane uh, for different body parts is, I mean, I don't know, I find it really boring. 
you know, I do it because it supports my ability to do other things in life. And that's my whole approach to fitness is essentially fitness isn't life. P.S. Okay, not for me anyway. But fitness and, and exercise and paying attention to nutrition is really directed towards enabling me to be able to do the things with my body that I would like to do for long periods of time. So I love snowboarding. I love um, jiu-jitsu. I love surfing. I love to skate. I like to hike. I like all of these things that are very, very dependent upon my body being in strong and fit and healthy. So that's what my ex- that's why I exercise. That's why I lift a weight in the same plane of motion 10 times. That is why I, you know, work towards doing those sorts of things. Now other people get more joy from being able to do, you know, certain things in the weights room and that is to- I totally like that's awesome. Um it's just not that's not my bag. That's not where I, you know, my background's in gymnastics, so it's like been such complex fun interactive movements. So to go back to doing weights training is just having to rewire my brain and rewire what I like. So what was the question? Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So so for me, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has shaped the way that I train in a different way. It gives me a more interesting reason to lift weights. It's like, all right, well, I need to do these pull-ups because if I don't have that level of strength in my grip, in my back, then I'm going to be not as good in Jiu-Jitsu or I'm not going to have the stamina and the strength that's required to do this. So for me, it's given me a whole other kind of inspiration and motivation to train outside of the jiu-jitsu space which is really beneficial particularly for anyone out there that's like really struggling with motivation I hear you I get you you need to find something that is something potentially like a sport that might make you go okay I love playing football but if I want to play football well even if it is just like playing with your your workmates or whatever then I need to I probably do need to do a bit more running or probably do need to strengthen my glutes probably do need to make sure that my knees are in good condition so I think Jiu-jitsu for me has given me extra motivation in other areas of my life that benefit my health. The other thing I like about it is just I just feel, I guess, more empowered as a woman. Sometimes I, I hate saying the word empowered because it denotes that we didn't have power in the first place and that we needed to have power. So I don't like to use that word too much. But I also think that um from a protective space, feeling strong and safe and capable of protecting myself, definitely. Like before jiu-jitsu, I would have felt less safe than I do now knowing a little bit of self-defense. Um, that's very, And it's amazing how much that can psychologically influence other aspects of your life, particularly if you're a people pleaser, if you're codependent in any sort of way. The subconscious effects that even just knowing you can physically protect yourself make your interactions with human beings a lot different. You feel less inclined to have to say yes or to say no or whatever it might be. Whatever you are doing, whatever behavior you're eliciting in in a way of like people pleasing, it changes that really, really. And I speak to all the people pleasers out there um, in that it's just made me feel like more empowered to say no. I don't know. I can't explain it. That is fascinating. Yeah. There is such a link between our you know, our physicality and how confident we feel in the world. And and for a lot of people listening, I'm sure people-pleasing resonates. Yeah. And so maybe get yourself down to some yeah. Brazilian Some Brazilian martial arts. Another thing is, is that for me, I find it very difficult, again, as a people-pleaser to express anger. 
And it's a very natural human uh, emotion. But if you oppress anger, this is where things like depression can come from. Mm. When we when we oppress and suppress, it leads to depress, <laughs> depression. And so um, if you spend too long oppressing things like that, it can surface in other areas of your behavior. So Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for me was a very controlled way to express aggression that isn't necessary that, that is important to allow to come up but isn't going to necessarily hurt someone else because with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu you, your objective isn't to hurt them it's just to put them in a position that causes them to submit so you tap you double tap someone wherever on the body part that you can reach or you yell out or whatever um, before they hurt you so there are various positions where you might be in a position where if they pulled any harder your elbow would break or you would choke them or whatever and so the objective is when you get them into a a submission then you tap and that person releases you so there's never whereas with a striking martial art I mean you get hit in the face you're not going to tap before you get hit in the face mm-hmm. you know what I mean there's no protection there so um, that's why it's called one of the reasons it's called the gentle art but um, why was I telling you that uh, yes I think innately as human beings we all have primal uh, aggression that needs releasing um, and I think it needs to be released in a physical way as much as it needs to be you know can be released in your career or your relationships in various ways I think it's very very important to release it on a physical level as well mm, totally yeah. Yeah, yeah I was telling a client recently to um, pound on the sofa or on the bed with your with your forearms um, to release some anger and to yes. make noise and shout and scream and kind of wiggle your body around as you're doing it to move the energy of yes. that anger so that you're not suppressing it and keeping it inside your body, exactly. which is like a heavy weight to carry with you. Exactly. Um, thank you so much for everything you share. This has been a really varied conversation and I've loved the sciencey bits. Um, can you share a bit more about if people want to learn about your online courses, your yes. um, the things that you offer? Sure. Tell us so, about that. Um, so I have a thing called the Virtue Method, which is, as I explained earlier, um, focusing on, on strength, fitness and mobility. And so you can find all of it either uh, on my website, which is just www.shonavirtue.com. And it has all the information there. And that's where the programs sit as well. They're 12 week online video based programs. Um, and they're all in real time. So I think one of the things that I always wanted to create were online programs where we work out together for the full period of time rather than just kind of like a moving gif that's like, lift this, push that, do this. It's like, I'm with you there the whole time. You're sweating along with us. You're exactly. <laughs> sweating and swearing, I always say. Um, and, we're, and you're probably swearing at me and that's okay because I can't hear you. Um, and so that's probably the best place to find me. Instagram, Shona underscore virtue. You can stalk me for a bit and see what I'm all about. But make sure you spell virtue with an E, V-E-R-T-U-E. Yes. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope that you gained a lot from this episode. Come on over to Instagram and let me know what are you taking from this episode. Find me at Chloe Brotheridge. And I would love it if you would leave me a review in the podcast app or in itunes subscribe to the podcast leave me a rating and is there someone in your life that would really benefit from this podcast you can let them know by sharing this podcast i'd be so so grateful so i'm just wishing you a wonderful week ahead sending you loads of love hopefully you'll tune in again and i'll see even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.